I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. It's Wednesday afternoon, just, uh, it's just gone midday here in London. I was hoping the sun would be shining. I was actually thinking of lighting the barbecue today, seeing as I'm working from home due to the train strikes, but it doesn't look like... Um, the weather's good enough, to be honest. I mean, I could still do it anyway, couldn't I? But yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed, a little bit underwhelmed uh, by the weather today. I felt like that as soon as I woke up and I felt even more sort of deflated when I read this uh, this William Saliba report this morning, which we're going to get into. We're going to break down. Um, it's going to be a really interesting discussion, I feel, this. We're also going to talk Emil Smith-Rowe today uh, after David Ornstein reported yesterday that Arsenal have no intention of allowing him to leave, which is contrary to what a lot of us thought might be the case going into this summer. I have to hold my hands up. I wondered if a reasonable offer came in, whether or not Arsenal would consider allowing him to leave. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the comments that Tony Adams has made. Um, I I've got, listen, I adore Tony Adams. He's Mr. Arsenal. Um, love him to bits. I do think, though, that sometimes ex-players need to just kind of almost realise and, and recognise that the era in which they played is a very different era to the one we're talking about now. So not every basic principle that they would have applied or every theory that they would have sort of cooked up back in the 1990s, for example, is still applicable in 2023. So I don't think what Tony Adams has said has come with any ill intention or anything like that. I just think it's a mentality thing. And as the game has changed and developed and, you know, the way we consume football has changed and the things that we look at when we study football have changed, you can see um, just where that disconnect is. But we'll get into all of that a little bit later on. Uh, big hello to uh, who we got. We've got Live Inc. with us. We've got Gunner Deja Vu. We've got KC Clips. We've got Nav. Uh, we've got NSW. We've got Matt joining us from Chicago. Damien Kelly's here. Uh, we've got Andre Cossack, we've got Trevor G, we've got Daniel, uh, we've got Justin, we've got uh, Ruggio, we've got uh, James Bond, we've got Name, that's my favourite screen name of the lot, just Name, simple. Uh, Matt G says, I'm not worried about Saliba, I think he wants to stay, and we've got uh, Third Eye Boy 85 Rams, uh, we've also got Rancy Pumpkin, and we've got Franklin in the chat as well. Big hello to every single one of you. Listen, just a quick message before we, we dive into today's topics of discussion, today's show in full. Um, yesterday, I had a number of messages from a number of you that are members of the podcast um, sort of highlighting to me that there are a few accounts that, that pop up in this chat box and constantly attack others and that for some of you that's made you feel like you don't want to be in the chat box in the way that you used to. Now that really saddens me. Um, I didn't realize that that type of thing was going on to that extent. I know that there are people in the chat that like to be quite negative and, and there are certain names that pop up constantly and, you know, are always looking to have a go at the team or, or discredit what I say or what some of you guys say in the comments. And that's absolutely 
fine. You know, people are entitled to have their own opinions. I'm not going to make this a place where you can't have a different opinion to mine or a different opinion to those that occupy the chat box normally. Um, it's okay to have a different view as long as that view is put across in a in a uh, sort of respectful way and as long as there isn't any attacking of other individuals. I apologize to those people because when I am doing these sort of individual slash solo podcasts, I do have one eye on the chat, but I do miss things as well. It's impossible to speak with any real kind of flow without sort of kind of blocking out sometimes what's going on in the chat for periods of the show. That's why I always say to you guys, look, if you've got questions, pop them in a little bit later on when I know that my eyes are going to be on the chat more. Because if I try to keep my eyes on the chat throughout the duration of the show to the same extent, then it will impact the quality of the podcast. And for those that listen on audio, it will be like, well, what the hell am I listening to? So, you know, I have to, um, I have to, you know, try and maybe get better at that. But a few of you have sent me over those names of the accounts that constantly attack other people. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I've got the, um, I've got them written down and I will recognize them now. And if I see them and I see them doing that, then I will block them. I can't block someone just because someone said to block them. I need, I need to see it. But when I see those names, I will keep a, a close eye on them. And if that does happen, then I promise you, you have my word. I will block and delete them because, you know, I don't care if I lose a hundred subscribers, if it means that the, the loyal people that have been here from the start that support all the time, um, you know, are, are being impacted. I don't want that. I don't want that. So I'm going to keep a close eye and, uh, and make sure that that doesn't happen. And if it does, you'll be out straight away. No explanation needed. See ya. Anyway, um, we've got lots to get into. We're going to talk Saliba. We're going to talk Smith-Rowe. We're going to talk about Arsenal supposedly readying a bid for Declan Rice. But is that bid going to be enough to convince West Ham to sell? Is it just an opening bid? Is it just the standard first step in, a, in any negotiation? We'll get into all of that. Tony Adams has had his say on the idea of signing Declan Rice for around about £100 million as well. He's talked about where Arsenal are lacking in his opinion as well. Um, so, yeah. Really, really looking forward uh, to getting into all of those things. If I could just ask you, though, before we proceed uh, through the podcast to please uh, do leave a like on the video. Uh, it really, really does help. There's over 100 of you with us already. So uh, please leave a like and, of course, subscribe if you're brand spanking new. Um, if you're listening um, on audio, then obviously please do uh, leave us a review as well. That really, really does help, as I say. Right. Um, no more distractions. Let's <laughs> let's get on uh, to um, let's get on to uh, what we're here to actually talk about. Arsenal, according to uh, Mark Irwin of the Sun, could be forced to sell William Saliba this summer. Sun Sport can exclusively reveal. The French international's wage demands have shocked the Gunners and Saliba only has one year remaining on his contract. Now, we all know what Saliba's contract situation looks like. We all know uh, that, you know, when he was brought in initially by the club, he was always going to be sent back out on loan the first time around. It happened uh, that he came back and he wasn't a part of the plan, was unregistered, went on loan in the second part of that season and then spent all of last season 
on loan at Marseille. I say last season, not the one that's just finished the one prior. Obviously, that meant that his contract started to run down. His current contract expires June 2024, so a year from now. But I do believe Arsenal have a one-year option to extend that by a further year, which means Arsenal's negotiation position isn't as weak as some would have you believe because they can trigger that option, make it two years and buy themselves a little bit of time in this. So, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter asking the question this morning, is that the case according to Transfer Mark to a normally quite accurate when it comes to contracts? Uh, that is that is the situation. So is it a desperate situation? Not quite as desperate as, as you might think, but it is a situation that needs fixing. It is a situation that needs, um, you know, resolving sooner rather than later. Also, you've got to think of how William Saliba's status at Arsenal um, has elevated. You know, it has elevated incredibly high because of how good he's been, because of the impression he's made. Some of you are saying we've already triggered it. We did in December. He only has 12 months. I beg your pardon. Um, let me just double check that. Have I got sucked into the transfer marked trap here? Hold on. Arsenal extend Saliba's contract. Let me just do this. I don't recall that. I don't know why I don't recall that. Um, hold on. Arsenal trigger. Let me see if I can find that. Has anyone got the link to the article? Yep, you're right. 2nd of January, 2023. Arsenal have activated clauses to extend the contracts of Bukayo Saka and William Saliba by an extra year as talks continue over long-term agreements. Let me just bring up this article. I beg your pardon. Um, I should have really checked that out. I shouldn't have just dived into... Um, yeah, keeping the club until 2024. It's correct. So we've got a year uh, now. So I do apologise, Um I don't know why I totally forgot about the fact that that happened in January and was looking at the transfer mark page it was up to 2024 and thinking that we had another year. So, look, it's still not as desperate a situation as some people want you to believe. Why? Because I think that he wants to stay. I do. Um, I think that he's been as pleasantly surprised by the progress made at Arsenal as we've been by his arrival. I think a lot of people uh, sort of were maybe a little bit unsure about William Saliba when he kept being sent out on loan. You know, what is it that he's missing? What is it that Mikel Arteta's seen on the training ground? What is it that the staff are seeing that means they're not totally 100% convinced by William Saliba's situation? Um, and yeah, look, he's come in and... You know, in pre-season, I thought he looked fantastic. I thought he looked like a real Rolls-Royce of a defender. And we talked a bit about this on part one of our season review yesterday. He's He's been such a key part of us being able to play, you know, the way that we want to with the high line, squeezing people up, dominating teams. He's given us that ability to say to teams, you know what, you want to drop the ball over the top of us when we play a high line, you do that, mate. And we've got a man in the heart of our defence. We've got two players in the heart of our defence, good enough to turn, run back towards their own goal with the required pace to make sure that we don't get into a, a, a tricky situation more often than not. 
let's be honest, he's been a revelation. And I didn't see that coming necessarily. I had question marks about William Saliba when he arrived back at Arsenal in the summer. And I wasn't sure how good he was. I, I always said and always maintained that he had the raw attributes that you need to be a real top centre-half physically, um, in terms of the technical stuff. Concentration felt like a bit of a problem for me based on what I'd seen of him in previous years. There were mistakes from time to time, the type that come when you just switch off in games and at key moments. So I, I did wonder whether he'd be able to get into the team ahead of Ben White and Gabriel, who I thought the season before formed quite a good partnership. Unfortunately, that partnership had to be broken up when we suffered with injuries later on in that season, which ultimately played a big part in our undoing. But yeah, I wondered where he'd fit in. And obviously he impressed so much over preseason, so much in training, that Mikel Arteta was willing to, to make that change, was willing to say to Ben White, I need to get William Saliba in here. You're going to have to play somewhere else. Now, maybe that was partly to do with the fact that Tommy Asu had injury problems and was out, was unavailable. Maybe that Ben White seemed to Mikel Arteta to be the most adaptable of the three in question, Gabriel, uh, Saliba and White. He wanted all of them in the team, but felt that Ben White was the one that you could move position, who has that game intelligence to be able to just adapt into a slightly different role. And, and that's why that decision came about. Perhaps it was by accident more than by genius. Perhaps it was driven by the circumstance rather than Mikel Arteta having that viewpoint or being really clear on what he felt about William Saliba and how good he could do. But listen, he's been immense. But given the history with Arsenal, given the fact that he was signed, sent back out on loan, the first time was fine. That was, that was pre-agreed, you feel. That was something that was always going to happen. The problem was the second time when he came back to the club, wasn't registered, was left out in the cold and had to wait basically half a season to get an opportunity to go back out on loan because some paperwork hadn't been done on time and that loan negotiation fell through, etc., etc. at the last minute. That was when you felt like his relationship with Arsenal could be at breaking point. And he went to Nice, I think it was, played quite well, um, you know, showed signs of improvement again. And then the following year, went out to Marseille for the entire season. Now, the Marseille season was the making of William Saliba, you feel. It was the season that gave him a understanding of what it's like to play at a football club when you're always under pressure to win, when the club is a massive entity where everybody's eyes are on you week in, week out. You play well for Nice one week, you don't play so well the next week. Is it that big of a deal? Is it something that's going to be highlighted in the national press? That's going to be broadcast across Europe? Probably not. But when you play for a club the size of Marseille, where the demands are what they are at Marseille, you know, you, you almost condition yourself for life in the Premier League with one of the Premier League big boys. And I thought that that move was, was really good for him. I know that people were talking about it midway through last season. Again, not the season that's just finished, the one prior. People were saying... If we had Saliba now, when we were having all these injuries, uh, we'd be fine. And, and what a stupid mistake it was to let him go out on loan. But the truth of the matter is, is that William Saliba, the William Saliba that arrived at the start of the season that's just ended, was far more advanced than the one we'd let go at the back end of the season prior. Because he'd gone there and got another year under his belt and learned a lot, you feel. 
So here he is, one of the most integral parts of our team, somebody that we really, really suffered from being without in the second part of the season, in the, the last quarter of the season, if you want to break it down that way. We're going to bring you our part two of the season review later on today. So that is coming. Uh, thanks for the kind words about the part one that we released yesterday. Part two is coming out today. And in part two, we talk about the absence of William Saliba quite a bit. So I don't really want to spoil that and, and talk about the ins and outs of his absence. I know we've talked about it over the duration of the season, but you know we really do focus on that in part two of our season review. So I'll leave that there for the minute. But what he's done is played himself into a place where he is indispensable to this team. He has played himself into a place where he is now regarded as one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League, which in turn makes you one of the best centre-backs in world football. And all of that at just 22 years of age. Of course, he's going to want big money. Of course, he's going to want to be on a wage packet that reflects that. He'll be looking at some of his peers and he'll be looking at what they're earning and he will think that he is more than value for that type of money. Arsenal are asking him to commit his future to this football club. It's a future, it's a football club that 12 months ago, he wasn't sure he wanted to be at. That 12 months ago had yet to show massive faith in him. A manager that 12 months ago had yet to show huge faith in him. And so you can understand why even if he's, his mind is made up now that he wants to stay at Arsenal and there's nowhere else he wants to be, you can understand why at the very least William Saliba's people feel as though they are in a great negotiation position to push for way more than the rumoured £120,000 a week that Arsenal are said to be offering. That's just my view. If you told me a week ago that the negotiations were ongoing and that Arsenal were going to offer him £120,000 a week, do I think he'd accept it? I'd have told you no. You've got to be talking upwards of two hundred grand. You have to. I mean, think about what Bukayo Saka's earning. Think about what Gabriel Jesus is earning. Think about, you know, what a, a load of other players within the group. Think about what Eddie and Ketty is earning, right? Eddie and Ketty are is a £100,000 a week squad rotation player. Well, William Saliba is one of the pillars of your team. If Arsenal thought, and I don't know that they did because this is just a report and it is from the Sun, we have to temper this conversation with that. If this is just, you know, if this is what Arsenal are offering, £120,000 a week, you have to understand why William Saliba's people would be like, uh, no, you can do better than that. Of course they can. There's a part of me that doesn't want to believe this report that feels like it's it would be so naive of Arsenal and almost insulting from Arsenal to make an offer of that amount of money. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, they could do this. <laughs> I, look, I just I, I hope it I hope it gets resolved. It, it will get resolved. I think you know I'm not. Although I've read this report this morning and I spoke of a kind of deflation that I felt when I sort of read it, not at the point where I'm massively panicking about this. You know, the, the season's ended two, three days ago. 
We knew that these negotiations were going to ramp up in the close season. And I expect us to get this deal done, secured over the course of the next couple of months. I wonder if there will be, you know, we heard a little bit about the Saka negotiation, didn't we? That Saka wanted there to be a release clause in there in the event that, you know, maybe Arsenal don't progress um, in the way that, that we hope to. And so that he would have an opportunity to be able to go elsewhere and win trophies if it got to that point. Um, yeah, you know, instead Arsenal compromised by making it just a four-year contract, which would give Bukayo Saka time after that, still in his career, where he'd still technically be at his peak to be able to move on. Maybe that's something we have to explore with William Saliba as well. He's just 22 years old. Give him a four-year deal. He's still 26 come the end of it, you know, or there or thereabouts. I think that we have to accept as a football club that if we want to compete right at the very top, if we want to compete with the Man Cities, with the European Giants, if we want to fight on multiple fronts, the wage bill is going to have to shoot up. Now, we did a lot of work over the last two years to trim the squad down, to shave down the wage bill, to put us in a position where we could then afford to A, go out and buy top, top talents and top players, but also to be able to pay our players in line with what the market says they should be paid. Now, we'll always have this debate, you know, how much is a footballer worth? You know, people will always tell you that the money that they earn is ridiculous, it's crazy, but this is the market, this is the reality, and and this is the type of money that you're going to have to pay, I think, upwards of £200,000 a week at minimum to keep William Saliba. I really, really do. And if I were Arsenal, based on what I've seen so far this season, I would absolutely 100% pay it. 100%. It wouldn't even be a discussion for me. And that's another reason why I keep saying when everyone's going, oh my God, Arsenal are going to spend 300 million this summer, 250 million. It's another reason I keep saying, actually, you know, the, the outgoings are going to go up regardless. I know the incomings, go up because of the Champions League participation but as I mentioned to you guys before we know there are a load of players in that squad who had clauses in their contract that if Arsenal reached the Champions League they would get a bonus or a, a wage bump so yeah we're, we're in a position where yes our outgoings are going to increase our incomings are increasing too but if we want to compete at the very top level this is what we have to do this is just how it goes Let's um let's go over to the live chat and see what you guys uh, are saying. Uh, Hardly says uh, we should give him what he wants, seen as he's willing to commit to the Arsenal. I agree with that. I think a lot of good work's been done. I think he's been shown that he's a real big part of this team. And it's great that he supposedly wants to stay, but now we have to do our part. Shacklebolt says, I agree. If Saka gets 300k, Saliba is worth at least 200k. Wandering Minstrel, agree with Harry, 200k minimum. Rancid Pumpkin says, I wouldn't be surprised if we talk about the agent fee and not Saliba's wages. Listen, we know what agents are like, right? People often criticize agents and and often, you know, refer to them as parasites. I've seen that kind of conversation, that kind of narrative being wheeled out towards agents many a times over recent years. The truth is, guys, that nowadays you just don't do deals without them. This is the world we live in. You know, I, um, when I left my banking job, I wanted to work in football and I was desperate to kind of make a success of, 
of all this stuff, you know, the podcasting, the the broadcasting, all of that. I was desperate. I was writing useless articles for, you know, for sort of clickbait websites, you know, to try and make ends meet so that I could lay this foundation upon which I could then build the career that I wanted to. And one of the things I did during that period, during one of those summers when I didn't really have an awful lot to be cracking on with, was I went and done a course to become a football agent. And I looked at it from the other side and I looked at how they work, how they operate. I never registered as an agent. I never registered as an intermediary, but I went through the course. And the truth is that they play a massive part nowadays in in these types of things. And it's almost as much about pleasing the agent as it is pleasing the player. Yes, the agent works for the player and the player can instruct the agent to act in the way that they want them to. But at the same time, the agent holds a lot of power, a lot of power. And, um, and we have to appease them too. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Jean Rene says, Harry, 120 K makes sense to me as a starting point. Cause that's about Gabrielle's wages. There can't be that big of a disparity between players of a similar profile and importance. I agree with that. But I think that Saliba's got more leverage than Gabriel. He's got more leverage for a number of reasons. A, because of how things started under Mikel Arteta. That means that Arsenal have to grovel a little bit to, to appease him and give him what he wants. Secondly, he's younger than Gabriel, which means that he's younger than Gabriel. And you'd argue that he's already at the same level as Gabriel, if not higher, which indicates that his ceiling is, is potentially higher. And he'll know that. Um, I think there'd be more interest in William Saliba from outside clubs as well. Um, all of that and the contract situation, which is is as it is, William Saliba not got much time left on it, which puts Arsenal up against the wall, basically. So I think I agree with you in that they're of similar importance and of similar profile. I, I totally agree with that. I'm a big advocate of Gabriel's. I've, I've talked all season about how brilliant he's been. I've loved the job he's done. I've loved the fact that he's been, um, you know, given extra responsibility down that left-hand side in particular and managed to deal with it really, really well. Um, but Saliba just has more leverage. That That's the way I see it. Um, Ray Beam says, if we can't close this deal, then what do we sell him for? I don't even want to think about that, but with one year on his contract, there's going to be a limit as to how much you could get for him. People are going to laugh, but 40, 50 mil? You know, does someone think he's worth paying 40 or 50 mil for rather than waiting another season and getting for free, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. But th there's not going to be too many clubs out there that can offer him a the guaranteed playing time that we can champions league football as well as all of that the the, the sort of security of of knowing where you're at and and what you're you're regarded as your role etc if i'm william saliba at 22 years old i don't think there's a massive rush to be sort of going on the hunt for other things i don't think anyone outside the premier league with the exception of maybe Real Madrid, are going to be in a place where they can pay him more. So, you know, I think that we, we don't even consider that at this moment in time. I think we focus on this negotiation 
and getting the deal done. Uh, Czech says uh, Saliba has all the leverage. Uh, either pay him what he's requesting or he'll walk for nothing next year. Agree. Casey Clip says, I would go a step further, Harry. I think he's closer to Saka's wages. Look at his age and how important he is. High 200s probably. And to be honest, that's fair. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, Sakub says, Harry, your opinions are balanced and sensible. Well done. Some Arsenal fans are not sensible. If Saliba does not sign a new contract, we have to sell him, sadly. We can't lose him on a free. Agree. That would be really, really bad business. Really, really bad business. Um, Mohammed says, do you agree with me, Harry, that this market is also important for Edu to deliver? Getting our primary targets like Rice, Carcedo. We cannot afford mistakes in this war between clubs. Thoughts? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on, but... I think you're right. Um, I think you're right that, you know, we do have to now make that statement and go out and get the players that we uh, that we really, really want and uh, and the players that we've earmarked. Uh, Chris Summers says, Hi, Harry. I think Saliba is a generational defender and has massive potential and proven what we are like without him. I don't believe there should be any negotiation. Just pay him uh, what he wants, surely. It's hard to disagree with that. It's uh, it's hard to disagree with that. It really is. Uh, Inny says, "Fans, let's play our part. Show Willie the love." Yep, yeah, you know, if you can, um, if you can show these players how much they're loved, it does play a part. You know, it might not be the be all and end all at the end of the day. You know, financial decisions may gazump that, but you know, if you can show someone how much they're appreciated and loved at a football club, that goes a long way. I think, particularly now at Arsenal, where that connection between everyone is really, really strong. Um, and where that that mood and atmosphere is um, is a real positive one. It's a, it's a positive working environment, isn't it? And that's what you want to be in, don't you, as a footballer, particularly one who's still got things to achieve and still got more to, to sort of work towards. Because, listen, William Saliba's great. I love him. I think he's fantastic. I desperately want him to stay. But he hasn't won a Premier League yet. He hasn't won a Champions League yet. Hasn't even has he played in the Champions League? I think he did with Marseille. Um, but you know, has he been far in a Champions League campaign? You know, how much silverware has he won? These are the things that he'll be working towards as part of a team, but also on an individual basis as well. So, yeah, I think you know this is this is going to be an interesting one. But I guess my closing point on this. And we're going to talk Smith Rowe. We're going to talk Declan Rice. We'll take your questions as well. I guess my closing point on this is let's not panic. It's only the 31st of May. Um, this negotiation is one that we have to wrap up over the course of the summer, I believe. Um, hopefully in the next couple of months, because if you get to the end of the summer and you do decide, look, this is not happening, we need to sell. You're then limiting the window in which you can do that and make that happen. So it's something that needs to be resolved ASAP, but not within the next few days. So don't panic. Don't stress about it too much. This could be further along in terms of where it is than we're led to believe this could be a completely nonsense story. So, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, have it in your mind and, and and sort of worry about it. That's the natural thing to do as an Arsenal fan. But just just hold back on, on sort of going to town on this because I think that there is plenty of negotiation still to be had. I think that Arsenal 
will know roughly what William Saliba is looking for. And I do think when push comes to shove, they'll get there and they'll meet him there. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Guys, uh, just a quick one before we continue on through the program. If you haven't done so already, please do uh, leave a like on the video. It really, really, really does help. I can't put into words how important it is that you guys like the video on YouTube. It makes a massive difference um, to the kind of algorithm and how many people this video then gets recommended to, etc., etc. So please do me that favor. Also, subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new, if you're watching us for the first time. If you're listening on audio as well, uh, then please do uh, leave us a review as well. That also really, really helps. Um, guys, any questions, park them. Um, in fact, pop them in, put a queue at the beginning so I can pick them out and I'll save them and we'll come to them a little bit later on in the program. But for now, we're going to take a very, very, and I mean very, very short pause and then uh, we'll get back on it and discuss some of the other Arsenal news doing the rounds today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. The next story we're going to talk about is with regards to Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, this broke um, a couple of hours before I'd set up to do uh, part one of our season review yesterday. So we didn't cover it on yesterday's show, uh, but we are going to cover it now. And remember, part two of our season review is going to be out with you guys a little bit later on today as well. So uh, make sure you uh, keep an eye out for that one. I think it's going to be a lot more painful than part one, but also probably a lot more interesting in terms of the things that we're going to discuss. I've been doing my homework, looking back over the games, etc., etc., And I feel like I'm in a position to deliver uh, a part two review. So we focused on the first 19 games yesterday. And we'll look at the second 19 games uh, a little bit later on today. But the news I want to talk about now is with regards to Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, the Arsenal man has been out in the cold in the second part of this season. He returned from injury, of course, after a long spell on the sidelines. He had surgery, worked his way back to fitness, but in truth, never really got a look in. Um, that's for a number of reasons. I think the team were playing really well for the most part. Who do you take out is always a difficult question. Mikel Arteta generally didn't really want to rotate this season. So to say that it was because he didn't like Smith-Rowe or, or had it in for Smith-Rowe is probably a little bit far-fetched. It was a general characteristic of the way he managed the team over the course of the season. He wanted to make as few changes as possible, very much knew his best eleven. But you've also got to rewind this back a little bit further and remember that Emil Smith-Rowe is someone that Mikel Arteta has got the best out of before. He's someone that he's heavily relied upon before, somebody that he used frequently from the left-hand side before, could use in a 10 position before. Where, where does Emil Smith-Rowe fit in, I think, is the question now, rather than does Mikel Arteta rate him? I think we all know that he rates him. Arsenal gave him that bumper contract. They gave him the number 10 shirt at the football club. All signs and indications of the fact that he was viewed as one for the future and another one like Bukayo Saka who is an example of what we are as a football club in terms of bringing players through and showing them that clear pathway to the first team when we talked about the Saka contract announcement one of the things I said was that they would be able to hold Bukayo Saka up as an example to young players and say when you're good enough this is what happens you become a key staple in this team you become a key part of this football club 
And the same could be said of Emil Smith-Rowe, but unfortunately his season was killed, decimated by injuries. When he did come on in games, and when he did get the rare opportunity in the second half of the season that's just finished, I never felt he necessarily took them with both hands, but maybe that was me being harsh, and maybe that's on the basis of, you know, just it's difficult to get into games at that stage. I did worry about his future. I must admit, going into this summer, I've been very much of the opinion of, well, what happens if if a good offer comes in for him? And when I say a good offer, what happens if 30, 35 million pounds is put forward by somebody in the way that it was by Aston Villa a couple of summers ago? What do you do then? I mean, he's not playing. You don't rate him above Martin Odegaard in midfield. There's talk that his position has been adapted from a, a 10 to an 8 or from a winger to an 8. But we haven't really seen that yet. Will we see it in preseason? Maybe. Yeah, there was a lot to to really process. And, and, and I couldn't get away from the idea of, well, if someone came in and offered a significant amount of money and Arsenal were falling short when it comes to Declan Rice and the price that West Ham are demanding and Arsenal were falling short when it comes to Moises Caicedo, I couldn't get my head away from the fact that he could be used as a make-weight. Maybe not in terms of a direct swap, but in terms of someone that we could generate funds from to aid us in our pursuit of some primary targets. Then the other thing that, you know, when we were talking, and this is a really good point from Hanks, who said, if Arteta rated Emil Smith-Rowe, then why does he play Vieira ahead of him? He can rate both players, you know, he, he can rate both players. And also, I think, if he is working Emil Smith-Rowe into becoming more of an eight, then Vieira tended to come on in games where we were looking for something. And Vieira for me is not an eight. Vieira for me is someone that has to play further forward. Might be that one day, but isn't right now. I don't know. But, you know, it, it was baffling. And look, I'm I'm sort of going backwards to kind of get to a point where it was clear that Mikel Arteta rated Emil Smith-Rowe. And I acknowledge that maybe it doesn't look like that right now, which is why I kept saying, if someone offers big for him this summer, there's a possibility that he goes. But David Ornstein says that is not the case. He says Arsenal have no intention of letting Emil Smith-Rowe depart this summer. The 22-year-old is contracted until 2026. He's an important part of Arsenal's plans. And after injury hit campaign, the hope is he shines at the under 21 euros and in preseason before a big 23, 24. We're going to need a squad like the squad's thin. We've said it over and over again. We're going to need players that can come into the team and, and that don't cause the level to go off a cliff. We desperately need that. And we're going to need it even more so being in the champions league rather than the Europa league. So yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's see how this goes. Uh, but David Ornstein's normally spot on. He normally, uh, you know, has it right. And so I'm inclined now to believe that the intention is for Emil Smith-Rowe to stay on. We've talked about him at length over the last few months. I hope he can rediscover the form that he showed previously. Because I've got to be honest, there was a time where I held him in higher regard than Bukayo Saka. There was a time where... I would have said of the two, he was the most naturally gifted. He might not be as physically robust, might not be as as strong when it comes to sort of fending off injuries in the way that 
of course, Bukayo Saka has proven himself to be. But Emil Smith Rowe, talent wise, was was right up there. Is right up there. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's see how that goes. But um, looks by all accounts that he's going to stay. Casey Clips makes a really really good point as well, and this is a point that people often miss when they're talking about players. This is a point that I kept making about Granit Xhaka when it emerged that he could be going and people were saying, well, you know, there's much better players out there than Granit Xhaka. There's much better options. There's plenty of upgrades available. Casey says, how much would it cost to replace a player like Emil Smith-Rowe? People are talking about 50 million plus for Mount. Exactly. Exactly. And this is this is the issue, you know. You got to think about not just what you're going to generate from selling someone, but how much you're going to have to fork out to replace them. And are you willing to make that additional investment required to go and get an upgrade, or are you just going to put yourself in a weaker position than you were in? Mason Mount, Chelsea are reportedly asking for eighty million pounds for him, which is wild. They're not going to get that in a million years, and given his contract situation. You know, clubs know that and they will probably go and lowball Chelsea and hope that they can strike a deal before he can strike an, an agreement with Chelsea to stay on. But it's all good letting these players go, but we should be building on the foundations we've already built, that we've already dug, that we've already laid. We we should be improving the squad, not weakening it. And to let Emil Smith-Rowe go for £35 million, for example, but then have to spend £50, £60 million, if that's what you're going to do, you have to guarantee me that the person you're bringing in is an upgrade and is going to help us and is going to put us in a stronger position. Talking about this idea of him playing as an eight, being able to play in a slightly more advanced midfield role, being able to play from the left, et cetera, et cetera, as a false nine. You know, Arteta's used him there before and talked about his ability to play there before. That means that he adds tactical flexibility as well. And I think that's also important. I think that's... When you look at the way Mikel Arteta is building this group, it's clear that when he writes his list down of, of things that need to be visible when going after a player or, or things that they need to be able to do, being flexible is certainly up there. And Emil Smith-Rowe's played from the left, played through the middle, and now is supposedly training to be a number eight, ticks that box. Why would you spend the last couple of months, as we're led to believe, training this guy up to play in, an, in a variety of roles if you're then just going to let him go. Then who are you training him for? You're training him for someone else? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but look, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that if £40 million came in as an offer for Emil Smith-Rowe and Arsenal went, yep, yeah, we'll take the money, that I would have been massively upset because I think sometimes you just evolve past players and sometimes it's not that player's fault. Sometimes they just get left behind in a process, and that can be because of injury. In Emil Smith-Rowe's case, that really, really was what happened this season for me. He got left behind because of the injuries and because of the progress that Arsenal have made. Doesn't mean he's a crap player. Doesn't mean that he's of no use to us. Doesn't mean that you should be driving him to the airport and looking to ship him off ASAP. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that, you know, if the money was right and we needed it to do something else, I wouldn't have been overly against it but at the same time, the sentimental part of me thinks he's an Arsenal boy. He's come through the academy. I've been really impressed by what I've seen of him in the past. And I think he's deserving of another chance. 
But this does feel now, given Arsenal's sort of development, very much like the last chance saloon for Emil Smith Rowe, in that if he doesn't deliver in the upcoming season, then you know there's a, there's a chance that his future at Arsenal is is non-existent. Uh, Robert says it's good Mikel Arteta wants to keep him. Perhaps it's been one step back to go too forward. A good preseason and get him refocused. Top managers can be seen to challenge and test special talent like him. It's a good point. It's a good point. Right. Um, we're going to take another very short pause and then we're going to talk Declan Rice, Tony Adams' comments, and we're going to get some of your questions before we wrap up. Uh, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, all of that stuff, and we'll be back in a minute. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Let me just find these Tony Adams uh, quotes um, so that I can put them on the screen for you guys that maybe haven't read them uh, already. Um, he's talked about the Declan Rice thing. And let me just go over to this page, the Gunners uh, news aggregator on here. Um, he's talked about the Smith Rowe stuff. We've seen that already. Uh, um, he's talked about the, the supporters being magnificent, which he's absolutely spot on about. Here we go. This this was the one that I, I found interesting. We'll do the Declan Rice one in a minute. But um, Tony Adams, when speaking to the Sun, said, or, or in his Sun column, I'm not 100% sure what that arrangement is. But he said, I was talking with George Graham the other day, and he said, this Arsenal team has no resilience. They had a technical leader, but no physical leaders to stand strong in the games that really mattered. There wasn't enough experience in the camp from top to bottom. I also don't think there are enough people in the backroom staff challenging the manager like me and Joe Jordan did when we worked with Harry Redknapp at Portsmouth. So, first of all, I adore Tony Adams and I adore George Graham. I've had the pleasure of speaking to George Graham quite recently at an event. Um, got to interview him and he came across brilliant. But what was apparent to me and some of our older listeners and viewers are probably not going to like me saying this, but I've got to say it because I've got to be honest here. One of the things I felt from speaking to him was that, yes, you were a great manager and you achieved wonderful things with our football club. You was a great player as well, but you are out of date. And, and not as a man, not as a person. Let me just be clear on that. Your thinking is for an era that has been and gone. Your opinion is based on your own experiences, but your own experiences are not irrelevant, but certainly aren't as relevant in 2023 as they were in 1990, for example. And I think that you have to be able to, to sort of differentiate that between how someone feels about a football club as well. So George Graham would not have sat there to slag off Arsenal with ill intention. Tony Adams isn't bringing this up to hammer George Graham. They're kind of of a similar mentality, you would guess, given that, you know, they worked together and and obviously had success together, etc. But this thing about physical leaders. I, I First of all, I disagree with it because I think that Gabriel physically is a, is a beast. I think Saliba, when he's in the team, is physically 
up for the fight. I even think Ben White, who isn't this nasty sort of type of player and who is uh, a little bit more kind of uh, cool in his demeanour, etc., physically is always up to the challenge. Thomas Partey certainly is, with the exception of the last few weeks of the season. Granite Xhaka too. I think we built a real strong core. When we were missing one of those, one or two of those players, we started to weaken. And I think we need a squad that has more of that physical presence within it. And I talked, remember, after we got beaten by Man City about the need to add more power to the group. I really do feel that that is a thing. But to suggest that that is the be-all and end-all is a little bit far-fetched to me. To say that we've got a technical leader but no physical leader, I don't think makes sense. I think that Martin Odegaard, yeah, you'd put him in the character of technical leader more than anything else. But he's not just a technical leader, he's a tactical leader in that he implements and makes sure what is put across by the manager is implemented on the pitch. But he also works incredibly hard. Now, being physically at a high level is not just about your size. That's a genetic thing to a point. You know, if you're born and you you grow up to be five foot eight, five foot nine, five foot ten, you, you can't do anything about that, can you? But you can make sure that your condition physically is tip top. You can make sure that you are fit, that you have the stamina, that you have the aggression in your game, that you're as robust and as built as you possibly can be within the constraints of your body frame, etc. So I don't think that this is as big a deal as this was back in 1990. And that's the kind of point I'm trying to make. The thing about Joe Jordan and Harry Redknapp at Portsmouth, again, love Tony Adams, adore him. But as a coach, as a as a, a sort of, yeah, as a coach, I just think Mikel Arteta is on a different planet to him. And, um, and that's not being disrespectful to Tony Adams. I just don't really see that because back in the day when Harry Redknapp was at Portsmouth, Joe Jordan and Tony Adams were in his ear all the time, that that means that that's something we need at Arsenal. I'm sure there are challenges that go on behind the scenes. I'm sure there are difficult conversations that take place, but someone needs to take the reins. Mikel Arteta has done that and the club have progressed since. So I'm not really too keen on these comments, I have to say, uh, from Tony Adams. Again, I don't think they were done with any ill feeling or any ill intention, but I just don't really see it. And again, that kind of blends over into this next comment that I'm going to touch on, which is regard with regards to his thoughts on Declan Rice. He says, so if Arsenal want to push on from here, they have to sign four big experienced leaders this summer. Declan Rice could certainly be one of those. But if I'm going to spend 100 million on one player, I want a Jack Grealish type of player who's going to give me goals and assists, not a holding midfielder. Again, this is a valid point in some ways. But it's also a, a, an opinion that is built on a traditional set of values that are no longer as relevant as they were in the past. You know, Declan Rice, if he costs 100 million, that's because that's what the market demands. And for someone that grew up in a different era, it's impossible to get your head around um, how someone... Um, how someone could cost a hundred million pound now that isn't scoring you all the goals. But if that person can give you the foundation and the platform upon which you can go on and score goals and take teams apart, then it's equally as important. So again, look, not, not slagging Tony Adams off. I just, I just don't really 
buy into this stuff. Um, that's just my opinion. It's just my view on it. But um, thought it was worth touching on because I think that Tony Adams is getting a bit of, uh, a bit of heat online for saying this stuff, which I think is unfair as well. I think you should be able to take someone's comments, read them, process them, disagree with them, but still respect that that's their view and that's their opinion. And that's what I'm doing here. I disagree with them and I've given you my reasons why, but it doesn't change my view on Tony Adams. Um, not at all. Uh, what else have we got? Casey Clip says, I agree with his comments to a certain extent, Harry. The midfield looked very weak when the going got tough over the last 10 games of the season. The rest I don't agree with. I, I agree with that. It looked weak and I, I spoke about the lack of power, but we need to go and address that in terms of making the squad bigger and stronger in that sense. I agree with that. Um, you know, I haven't got a problem with that, but to cut almost, he's kind of like, I don't know, maybe it was just the way I took it. It felt like he dismissed the, the value of a technical leader like Martin Odegaard in making those comments. Maybe that's just the way I, I took it and processed it. But yeah, anyway, uh, guys, don't forget, like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're brand spanking new, uh, we've only got 96 likes on the board. No reason why we shouldn't have at least 150. So please uh, get get liking the video, subscribe. Uh, if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review as well. Um, I'm going to take a short pause. going to talk briefly about Declan Rice, and then we're going to take some of your questions from the live chat. Hello. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. Coming to you live from the living room today. Got a problem with the with some electrics in the outbuilding and uh, got someone taking a look at it now, which is why I'm uh, sitting on the sofa. Kids aren't home. Wife isn't home. Great opportunity to sit back feet up and, and deliver a podcast from the glories of the Simu living room. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, Declan Rice, uh, what's the latest on that? I've had a few people asking me, on the socials over the last couple of days, as far as I know, nothing, um, to be honest with you. There were reports yesterday that Arsenal were preparing a, a bid um, of around about £90 million, which you feel is probably not going to be enough to close the deal. So again, like I was talking about the Saliba situation, is that just the first step in the negotiation? How's that going to go down with West Ham United? Don't know. Um, so... Yeah, Arsenal supposedly preparing a bit. I'm sure that if any informal discussions have taken place behind the scenes, there will be a real want on West Ham's side to not have this publicly gather too much pace ahead of the Europa Conference League final, which is a big game for West Ham. It'll be a great way for Declan Rice to sign out of the club, lifting a European trophy if they can manage to do that. Arsenal probably need to respect that if they want West Ham to play ball. So I don't expect any significant movement on that until after that game is concluded and maybe even a little while after that. But it does seem by all accounts that Arsenal are very interested in this player and that he is interested in the move to Arsenal as well. Yesterday, we read about some interest from Bayern Munich and um, I was talking about this with a colleague of mine. Am I massively worried about Bayern Munich as an alternative? I'm not. And I'll explain why. Obviously, they're a wonderful football club. 
they stand a greater chance of winning trophies immediately than Arsenal do. So the appeal is there. I get that. But we are in the best league in the world, supposedly. Anyway, uh, we are based in London, which will appeal to Declan Rice, given his background. And on top of that, as powerful and as much of a draw and an appeal that Bayern Munich are, are they going to be able to blow us out of the water financially? I don't think any of the European clubs, with the exception of maybe Real Madrid, when they feel like it, can rival the Premier League clubs financially right now. Now, that's a problem in itself. It's a problem with the European game. I've said it for a little while. It's created this big chasm between the Premier League and everybody else. And that's problematic. It's not healthy for football, in my opinion. It's not healthy to have all the best players in one place. I like the idea of there being, um, you know, uh, I like the idea of there being, um, you know, great players across the continent. And I like the idea of those European clubs being really, really competitive on the European stage as well. But Bayern Munich, to me, as I say, first of all, would have to convince a player who's played in the Premier League, who's comfortable in his surroundings to leave the country, but also uh, financially. Do, like, for example, we are going to ready a bid, supposedly, of £90 million. How far beyond that would Bayern Munich go? And if they did go beyond that, would they get to a point that we can't match? I don't think so. That's why I don't see them as a massive threat in this. Not because they're not a great football club. They absolutely are. But if this was Manchester City, for example or Manchester United, or Chelsea, I would probably worry because I'd feel like financially they could go that extra mile and make it very, very difficult for us, whereas I don't fear that when it comes to buying. So it's, it's not me dismissing them. That's just the reasons behind my sort of calm demeanour uh, with regards to their reported interest, etc., etc. Um, what else have we got? I'm just having a look... Um, in the in the chat just making sure none of that stuff that we talked about earlier on is going on um i don't think it is hanks is uh not happy with martin odegaard but he's entitled to that but as, you, as long as you guys are just debating respectfully i ain't got a problem with that um anyway right uh so that's the declan rice bit arsenal supposedly uh preparing a bid preparing an offer to send across to West Ham United. But as I say, I don't expect any movement on this before the Europa Conference League final. So um, hold your horses a little bit on that one. Another brief pause, and then we're going to take your questions for the last five, 10 minutes of the show. Got a few saved already, but if you want to sneak one in, get them in the chat box now. Okay, uh, let's go over to the ones that I starred throughout the show. Uh, Lewis says, do you think White at right centre-back is possibly a negotiation tactic? Not directly from above, but Mikel knows he may not sign. So we play White back at right centre-back and are looking at a right-back replacement. Um, no, because... And, and the reason I say this is because I, I go back to that point I made earlier on about the flexibility bit. Um, I asked Mikel Arteta after the Wolves game about the thinking behind him playing like Partey at right back, Kivi or at left back, all of that stuff. And he, he talked about the fact that we need to be adaptable in that sense. You know, what he said was that I wanted to try it. I wanted to look at different options. And at the time I thought he was kind of experimenting. But when I thought about it as I was coming home and sort of when I had time to kind of process his response, 
the thing that came to mind was that he wants us to be in a place where if we do lose one or two players in the defence, we are adaptable enough to be able to live with that, unlike what we saw this season where, you know, we weren't adaptable enough. We had Rob Holding come in who wasn't up to the task, unfortunately. We brought Kivior in um, later on and that was a bit better, but we need to be in a place where we can rotate and we can be adaptable in that position, in that place. And, and maybe it was just a bit of a refresher for Ben White, who obviously hasn't played um, at centre-back uh, for a long, long time. Um, so, yeah, maybe just that. Uh, Chris Summer says, hi, Harry, with the summer being linked uh, with the other 10s, uh, where do you see his long-term future being position-wise? I'm assuming that was about Emil Smith-Rowe, right? Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, for me, I think is is probably going to end up being an eight based on the reports that we're hearing, but also someone that can feel on the left and feel um, in other areas too, maybe as a false nine, if we're desperate, I think, um, I think again, adaptability is the key word there. Um, Tom says, do you think Arteta is repeating with Emil Smith throw the same trick as with Martinelli by mostly benching him for half a season, despite him being fit? By fully recovering, Gabby managed to truly shine this season. Yeah, maybe there's a, a reluctance to push him beyond what we're comfortable with him doing, given that he's coming back from that injury. That could have played a part for sure. Um, but it, it wasn't for me the fact that he wasn't starting games. I didn't expect him to start games. It was that when we were turning to the bench for solutions and options, it always felt like somebody else was it ahead of him in the pecking order. When, when you base it on the season before the one that's just ended, that wasn't necessarily the case with Smith Rowe. He'd have been one of the first options. So, yeah, it was a little bit strange. A little bit strange. Uh, Matt G says, and this is an interesting question, uh, just quick update on this, by the way, um, before uh, we um, before we go too crazy uh, on this. Is there an argument? Uh, so, sorry, before we go into Matt's comment, Granite Xhaka looks like he's leaving, okay? There's no, you know, we all spoke to him after the game on Sunday, looked like he was going. Um, Mikel Arteta was very adamant that that wasn't going to happen. Maybe Mikel Arteta thinks he can convince him to stay, or maybe Mikel Arteta's just not wanting to show his hand ahead of negotiations over other midfielders. Uh, because from what we understand, According to Kicker, uh, I think it was today or yesterday, they put out a piece saying that they will not, Arsenal will not sanction Granit Xhaka's sale until they secure a replacement. So, yeah, um, he's still here for now. Uh, but going on to Matt's question, is there an argument to say Arsenal failed Xhaka? He's been at the club for seven years, most of the time being played in the wrong position. I don't want to go as far as saying we failed him because I think that I think that even when Mikel pushed him into this more advanced role, he himself displayed concern. He himself was unsure about it, which suggests that it wasn't something that crossed his mind necessarily. I think where we failed him was that we didn't build the right frame around him maybe to allow him to do the things that he does best when playing in in a central role 
in a sort of more defensive midfield role. And you've got to remember, like, he plays that type of role for Switzerland. He played that role for Mönchengladbach before. That's what he was signed to do. So I don't think we necessarily failed him. I think, actually, rather than saying we failed him, we probably have to give Mikel Arteta credit for thinking outside the box with regards to how he could then get the best out of him. But I get what you're saying. It is a valid point. I just think that our failure was not maybe with him as an individual, but more so around not building that structure that almost recognised and therefore catered to where his shortcomings lay. Just just my opinion um, on that. But yeah, it's a really great question, Matt. Thank you, mate. Okay, look, guys, uh, I'm going to wrap it up because we've been going for over an hour. I'm absolutely knackered. Um, it's been good talking to you all, as always. Uh, lots of interesting stuff to work our way through, as I'm sure there will be uh, throughout the duration of the summer. Remember, part two of our season review coming up a little bit later on as well. Uh, looking forward to sharing that with you guys. And um, I'll see you very soon then. So until next time, take care. Have a great day. All the best. Goodbye. Don't panic about Saliba. We'll get it done. I promise. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.